Welcome to another episode of the Being and Doing podcast, uh, where I'm trying to bring stories of uh, interesting individuals and their interesting stories with the hope of sparking some curiosity about life and about yourself. And uh, today, uh, I'm really uh, happy to be joined by Amalia Bali. I hope I'm pronouncing it well. Uh, and we are going to dive into some interesting topics of how we learn, how we learn when we grow up, and also how we learn languages and how our psychology affects our ability to learn. So I'm really curious to hear Amalia's story and also the interesting things she's doing through her work. So welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Alexandra, and thank you for um, inviting me and for accepting me <laughs> on your podcast. Uh, I'm sure that um, we're going to have some interesting ideas that will come out of it. Hmm. So I'm I'm curious. The first question I I always ask is, what are some words that you describe yourself with, or that you associate yourself with? Um, I think. The first one that comes to mind um, is authenticity. Mm. Um, I feel like it's one word that really defines me now. Um, and especially, I'd say, for the last two years or so, ever since I started my um, own psychotherapy journey and self-discovery. Um, and I often tell my um, therapist that She's done something to me and broken me <laughs> in yeah. a way because I feel like whenever I attempt to maybe um, mask or just hide certain feelings or ideas um, in an attempt um, to not maybe hurt others or, you know, not create any sort of conflicts, it almost feels like it's eating me from the inside. So I, I have to find a way of kind of staying true to myself and being authentic to what I believe in and what I feel. Um, so I think that's something that really um, I, I associate with myself, at least. Mm. Um, and if I was to think of other, uh, of another one, um, I think it would be um, family. Mm -hmm. um, it's again a concept or a word that means a lot to me and I feel like I'm always trying to mm, I wouldn't necessarily say balance because I think it's very hard to actually keep a balance between work and family but maybe alternate them uh, um, well enough so that I give uh, enough time to uh, family and my personal life Um and a third word that I would associate uh, or I would identify myself with is um, dedication for what I do mm -hmm. um, and doing something that I believe in and something that um, means something beyond just a job or an income or an activity of the day to day. Mm. So what is it that then you believe in and and what drives the work you do? At the core of it is the idea or the mindset that anyone and everyone can learn and can grow. It doesn't matter if you were this person that was 
nerdy in school and yes it was easy for you to uh you know um learn things assimilate information um and it doesn't matter if you were considered a bad student and you always came home with bad grades or whatsoever because with the right methods the time and the the necessary support anyone can learn um and i'm speaking here um let's say especially about language um because it's it's one of the things or is one of the uh myths that kind of um comes uh, comes up with adults that um from a certain age you don't learn a language anymore if you haven't learned it when you were a child there's no chance that's what they say it's not true <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think this is this is at the core of it. Anyone can learn. Everyone can do it with the right uh, with the right mindset. Yeah, I really I must say I really resonate with that because and I also f one of my passions is is talking about how much human potential we are wasting mm -hmm. by imposing these internal limits um, based on what someone has told us we can or cannot do at a certain age being a certain gender or whatever you name it mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm wondering um, I know you I mean I don't know because we don't know each other much but somehow I assume that you're saying this and not just for saying it but that you have actually witnessed and experienced that anyone can learn so maybe if you want to share some stories or anything that kind of supports you in doing this work and why do you believe that anyone can do it <laughs> um so let's say that the basis of it kind of started with uh, my studies in um, linguistics and psycholinguistics especially during the masters um that's where the let's say academic or the research kind of basis is, um, there is absolutely no evidence um, to say that with age, people can't learn a language anymore. Um, certain factors, yes, might change. Uh, maybe the speed that you learn at, um, maybe the methods that you need to use um, will have to change with age. Um, but that's not necessarily because of genetics or age as such but mm. because of all the factors that change with age your priorities in life the the mental capacity that you're giving to learning something as opposed to focusing on your day-to-day -day survival like job house family and so on um, so these are the things that actually kind of influence it and then at a practical level, what I've been doing for the last three years in teaching adults kind of proved that. Um, and it's, I think, um, a nice proof of that is that a lot of um, the students that we have within the academy are actually um, above 30, 35 uh, years old. Um, and that's usually the age where they say that because usually um, people already kind of have kids by that age um they almost consolidate this idea in their mind looking at their kids how quick they're picking up on things or how fast they're learning something they kind of start to believe even more that I can't do it because I'm looking at my child and look how quick she's doing it um 
and then there, there's a lot of there's a lot of examples that I can give. But if I go back to what I was saying earlier about um, this idea that if you were not good in school um, and you were not the brightest student, um, there's a high chance that you're not going to learn as an adult either. Um, there's a specific example I have in mind. Um, I was teaching a um, guy from uh, Romania and he was, let's say, according to society or school norms, uh, lower than a mediocre kind of student. Mm -hmm. And I think we studied um, initially for the first, for three months uh, continuously. And I was seeing progress, but not as fast or as quick compared to some of his group mates, for example. And then I've kind of started to look into things and do a bit more research and see, do I need to change something myself in the way I'm teaching? Is there something that doesn't work like specifically for him? And whilst I was doing this somewhere towards the end of the three months, it was very fascinating because it was almost like he needed a click at some point because he came back to one of the sessions at the end of these three months and it's almost like something has unlocked in his mind and everything that we had learned for those three months, he started using. And in my mind, I was, oh my God, like it's it's true, you know, what all the studies are actually saying. Learning will happen and anything that you do will actually show in practice, but you need to give it time because just because I do it quicker or his classmate does it quicker it doesn't mean that he needs to do it the same way and it also doesn't mean that uh, all that information or knowledge or studying that he's doing doesn't actually get stored somewhere it does but there is a little bit of a journey from the let's say theoretical knowledge and uh, getting that information stored and then your mind understanding how to use it in practice and you can't force that, uh, like, or, or you can't put a deadline on it. Mm. You have to give your mind enough time to understand in its own rhythm how to use it and how to employ all of that. Um, and I think for me, because this, this was literally like, I think in the first couple of months, it was one of the first students that I had uh, three years ago. Um, and I still remember it to date because I thought at the time as well, how important is it for the teacher or for the coach or for the guide that you have to not give up on you? <laughs> yeah. Just because they don't see the results that they see in other uh, students. Um, because if I had given up at that point, he definitely would have given up. On himself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's something that um, I am trying at least to pass on forward a little bit more um, with the team that I have as well and kind of showing people that who you're getting taught by um, and, and the mindset that your um, tutors have can make a lot of difference in how you see yourself. And how you perceive, you know, progress, success or failure as well. 
um I think they're very, very important aspects. Mm. Thank you a lot for sharing this. And I think you've mentioned one important word as you were speaking, which is support. Uh, and and I think with the right support, many people can do wonders. Yeah. Even things that they themselves are not aware of that they have the capacity to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's thank you. Thank you a lot for, for sharing this example. And I'm wondering, um, you've you've mentioned as you you started speaking about authenticity um, and I'm wondering what was keeping you inauthentic? What were some things inside you that were kind of stopping you from sharing your truth and your values? Well, um, I am a people pleaser by default. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> um and I think default here means simply or or it was defined by the society that I lived in because I don't think we are born as people pleasers uh, we are taught to be uh to be so by circumstances um and I think for me that was a big kind of um blockage um I I always had this need of validation from the others and it always felt like if I am actually expressing um, everything that I feel or I think there is something to lose Um, Mm. there is there is a punishment for actually saying what what you think or what you feel Um, and maybe that comes from the parenting that my generation uh, experienced in uh, Romania as well because I very much grew up with uh, my mom who uh, had this idea that if she's saying something to me I don't actually have neither the motives or the right to question it Mm. (laughs) so if as a random example, if she said that the sky is green and I saw it's blue, it's fine. It's green. We agree with it <laughs> because I was a child, you know. Um, and I think these are things that are kind of passed on generation by generation. So I'm not blaming her for it as an adult, um, but I'm trying to change it for myself <laughs> and how I yeah. how I take it forward. But yeah, I think uh, pe- people pleasing uh, was a... Um, was a big um, impediment for my authenticity. Mm. And I, I'm wondering also, I, I can relate to that also being from the Balkans. I think it's, it's a lot uh, about um, kind of listening to authority. Mm-hmm. And we have grown up, grown up in quite authoritative regimes. Yeah. Um, and it, sometimes it, it it was actually life-threatening to have your own opinions <laughs> and to yeah. think that the sky is blue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, so I can see how we need to learn freedom somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm wondering in that is how did you allow yourself the freedom to start your own business uh, and to take this huge leap um <laughs> it's interesting because it is a little bit still linked to the uh, to the idea of people pleasing um i consider myself very 
lucky or very blessed uh, because I believe in God. So I met uh, my husband during the university here. So it's almost 10 years as well since I know him. And um, he's always been this person that kind of pushed me to believe more in myself mm. and think that I can do more. And when the pandemic kind of hit, that's when we uh, got married as well. And we had our wedding in September 2020. And we moved from the city where um, we were living initially. And I autom it automatically meant that I have to find another job, um, another university or so. And we are living now in a location that is not necessarily very convenient in that um, in that sense. So um, with that in mind, and because I was speaking a lot about um, the struggles of uh, people in the UK who don't speak English as a first language um, in terms of adapting culturally, not necessarily at the basics of it, because yes, you can get by with just a few words, it's fine. Um, he kind of came up with the idea that why don't you do something about it yourself then? Um, and this was still before um, I, I started uh, therapy and I've kind of started working on myself. So I think a part of me did it only to make him happy that I'm trying at least. <laughs> um, so maybe that people-pleasing kind of thing, it, it didn't turn out that bad. Well, that's um, an interesting thing. I think uh, when I think of people-pleasing, uh, it depends on the person that you're pleasing because <laughs> the person can be actually really nice and use yeah. it for your own benefit. Yeah. So it, I, I think people-pleasing is only dangerous where the person you're trying to please is doing that for their for their own for their yeah. own goals, not for yours. Yes, and I think, for example, in this scenario, um, it wasn't that it's, it was a bad idea or it was something that I didn't like doing. Mm -hmm. um, it was simply, I think, the fear that mm -hmm. didn't let me do it. Um, and that's where maybe the, the people pleasing was a bit stronger than the fear. Yeah. And I said, okay, rather than me... Or rather than, let's say, my husband thinking that I'm not doing enough or I'm not trying enough or, mm -hmm. you know, any of those sorts, um, let me just try and do it. Um, mm -hmm. And it might actually work. And it was really nice because everything turned out really good. And because I'm actually doing something that I believe in, mm -hmm. things did get easier. Um, and I really started enjoying it. But again, it took a few good months almost a year for me to get this courage that I can take it to the next level and I can um, take it further than just teaching and getting by and um, creating this whole concept of you know what the academy is now and what is the mentality sorry behind it and what we are trying to achieve with people or with um, adults mm. and I wonder how was it for you to get your first clients how was it for you to say 
I'm doing this. I'm I I know what I'm offering because <laughs> I'm I'm at this stage of kind of making these transitions and mm -hmm. I'm very selfishly asking these questions now. Um no it's it's a good question and honestly when I look back I think that I was a little bit naive. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of a mm, kind of bold courage in a way. Mm -hmm. Because I I did start everything very systematically in the sense that um, this conversation with my husband was happening around October, end of October, beginning of November. Um, and then I said that because I had a little bit of background in um, business as well, my initial, my undergraduate degree was in um, English language and business studies. Mm -hmm. It was a joint uh, degree. Um, I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do a proper thing. So I began working on materials around November, December. Uh, then I started um, advertising and making posts on Facebook that, look, this is the course that I'm doing. I've come up with a structure um, for it so that I can show people, okay, this is what you're going to uh, study. Um, I, I had all the experience and the practical uh, knowledge of teaching basically and mm -hmm. the, what comes under language what I didn't have is the experience of business and advertising and how do you get like the clients or so um, and the first thing that I did was for example join um, Facebook groups that had um, either Romanians in the UK or other nationalities and I started posting um, on those mm -hmm. so that was that was the beginning and that's how I got um, the first students in January 2021 basically um, and I just remember now uh, you when you sent me a few like guiding questions one of the questions was when did you first uh, feel successful or something like uh -huh. that yeah and I think that was one of the moments when I felt successful because it felt like I'm doing something that I believe in. Mm -hmm. I can choose what method to use like for these people because I know their background. I know the struggles that they've had with because I was an immigrant myself. I am still an immigrant, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and I can do it all on my own. Mm -hmm. So that felt like a little bit of, um, of success to me. And then from there, things just went um upwards and onwards basically mm -hmm. and uh, what uh, what was your what were your struggles as an immigrant what has when did you how old were you when you moved here what what prompted you to move here and all these kind of things I moved here when um I turned 19 so that was right after uh finishing um my studies in Romania the A-level equivalent basically um, what prompted me to move was uh, when I was 15, I had the opportunity of coming to the UK for a school exchange um, and I came for two weeks uh, and I was studying at a school in uh, Watford and it's the first time it kind of fascinated me, this whole concept and um, the, cult the, the, the British culture of... Um, not being judgmental towards the other person at least not in the superficial things um, and a very random 
silly example that I can give is we were about 14, 15 years old at the time. And I was looking at all of the girls in the uh, British school here. They didn't seem to mind or care or even think about the fact that um, their um, tights were broken mm. uh, from their <laughs> uniform, you know? Yeah, it's very and, relatable. <laughs> and as, as someone who comes from Romania or an Eastern European country where, yeah. you know, you're not supposed to get out of the house unless unless you look tiptoe. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, to me, it just felt so refreshing that it doesn't matter. Like things can go wrong, and that doesn't mean that you need to crawl somewhere of shame. Um, you can just go on living because no one is going to pay attention to it, mm-hmm. other than ourselves who came from abroad. <laughs> um, but I, I loved, I loved that, um, and I kind of got this dream at that time that um, I want to not just study here but I want to live here and live like these guys basically mm-hmm. um, so when I finished uh, my my high school my college in Romania um, that was that's what I had in mind so I started applying to uh, study here but I did apply too late so I had to come and just work for a year Mm-hmm. Um, I was just working and then I've kind of um, started university the following year basically um, but uh, yeah that was that was at least the the beginning of it and it's interesting because ever since I said that I'm coming or I got here it never felt temporary <laughs> to me mm. I've I've never thought that I'm just coming to study and then I'm going back. Um, And I think that helped a lot in terms of adapting and kind of finding my place here. Um, As an immigrant, I'd say, I'd never, um, I had never tried to um, pretend or hide uh, that I am Romanian. Yes, I am. In my head, honestly, I've never even thought of things like discrimination. Mm. Um, when I have conversations now with um, with other people and they talk about it, I honestly try to think back and identify whether I lived something like that or I was so completely oblivious, <laughs> oblivious that I didn't even notice that it was happening. Um, I don't know. But yeah, that's that's at least what my attitude was like so like I said maybe because I was young there was uh, there was a drop of naivety in there that helped mm-hmm. uh, so w- what were some of the struggles that you may have experienced <laughs> being an immigrant or just being in a country that y- yeah you don't know not necessarily because you're discriminated but just yeah. because you live in a completely new place outside of the people that you know and they love you and all these kind of things Mm. um I think the biggest struggle that I had was in terms of my studies and education especially in the first uh in the first year because um, I had come from an educational system in Romania where I was amongst the first ones um or 
I think Americans say it more, I was a topper uh, in, in studies. And then coming here, I got into a very good university. I didn't even know at the time that is that good of a university, uh, Loughborough University. Um, and the educational system in the UK, or at least the, the universities, the expectations that they have from you are very different to how we studied. I had come from Romania where I was the like an expert memorizing machine, basically. <laughs> Give me anything to uh, learn, to memorize. I can say it back to you and I can do it perfectly. Um, but we were not taught the concept of uh, critical thinking. Mm. And I remember in the first year, at least at university, in every assignment that I was doing, there was at least one piece of feedback that said, you are not demonstrating critical thinking. Mm. And the fascinating thing to me was that neither of my tutors at the university was able to explain to me what that means, actually. <laughs> because I think it comes very naturally to people that study here and are educated here. And they're actually struggling to explain it to someone that hasn't done it. Um, they can they can see that it's not there, but they don't know how to teach you, basically, yeah. to do it. <laughs> um, and I feel like maybe that that was definitely uh, one struggle that um, that I had. And um, other than that, um, I think at the beginning, like any other person, just understanding cultural um, communication gaps, you know, um, this whole concept of British politeness. Um, what does it mean? Why do you say things in a certain way? And why, if if you are too direct, you can actually be rude? Um, although maybe the idea behind it is the same. Um, because speaking English is one thing, and speaking English culturally, <laughs> it's a different thing. It's a thing. completely different thing, yeah. Um, so for me, I think these, these two were definitely um, a, a struggle to begin with. Mm. And I find it really uh, interesting that um so, so one of those things where you can notice when something is missing but because you haven't had the struggle of actually obtaining it yeah it's much more it's much more difficult to to transmit it as a knowledge because mm -hmm. it came uh in serbia we say it came with the mother's milk <laughs> yes yeah the kind of thing um yeah that that's i mean i I, I can see how that is part of our programs. And actually, I was very privileged to be from the Balkans and going to science school. And I think that's where I got that part. But I can totally see how just going through regular schooling doesn't really equip you yeah, no. uh, to actually to actually be allowing yourself and taking into account what we spoke in the beginning of authoritative systems where you're yeah. not supposed to have an opinion suddenly yes. now someone asks you to have an opinion it's very challenging yes and it's it's nice that you brought this up because I was just thinking now that the whole idea of critical thinking and why the difference is so big for someone who comes from a different system is in critical thinking you are supposed to question what the other person is saying 
uh, you're supposed to say that maybe there's another explanation. Maybe there's another way of thinking. Let's look into it, at least. Whilst in Romania, the idea was if your teacher said that is, I don't know, straight, who are you to question whether is it oval? Mm. Uh, you know, uh, does it go in a different way? No, it's how your teacher says it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think even that, like, if I think now about the um a whole idea of uh, seminars and tutorials that you have in the UK, I think in my first year I never said a word in any of them, although they were supposed to be interactive. Because in my mind I was like, well, if the book says it like that, how? What can I say about it? It is like that, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's it's hard to um, get over that when you've practiced it for so long. Yes. You know? Yeah. It's, how do you allow yourself to say, no, I don't agree? <laughs> mm, yeah, no, exactly that. And, and, and actually, it's very saddening to know how many people have conditioned and and not only that they have conditioned but have never been exposed to something different and then they they stay in that I'm waiting mm. for an authority to tell me what to think or how to think or um, yeah. what to believe uh, without actually finding their own words and their own truths mm-hmm. uh, off on the matter uh, and I'm wondering um, um, as you as you're describing all, all of this Uh, I'm also sitting with a part of you has probably also kind of searched for this or kind of felt the freedom of that. And so I am I'm wondering now that you've gone through this, how like how does that help you as a teacher? Because I can imagine how much people can learn from you because you had that journey. Um. I think just generally anything that we experience um, can help us in whatever activity we do. Um, and I think if I can show people that it's okay and it feels good and it's nice to get to a point where you don't have to think about what the other person, what the other person's opinion is of you, of your ideas, of your life um that is a very big thing for me um Mm. and I think in general as a teacher I've always wanted to be the teacher that leaves something behind that is more than just a subject um and maybe this is um where my experience and how I've kind of experienced the UK can help the students that um, the students that I have Um, and I think I can include here everything whether it's my experience in um, studying over here in working uh, with um, British people or in like British environments um, the therapy the way that I've kind of grown up and I've understood or I've discovered things um, about myself. I think all of this definitely does uh, make a difference in my, at least in my attitude as a teacher and how the other uh, people perceive me. 
um, because they say a, a lot of the students say that or people that follow me on social media say that um, there's something different about you and I always say that usually when you see something different in the other person it's because they've had some sort of struggles or traumas <laughs> that they've learned to process or deal with um, and it's that kind of um, sensitivity maybe that you're noticing um, in in someone mm. and I'm curious in in your journey as as much as you want to share what were some of the discoveries in your in your therapeutic journey that were kind of most most moving or surprising or um even disturbing <laughs> <laughs> um there's a lot of them <laughs> but uh, i'm thinking of two specifically one is uh discovering or understanding that um i am a perfectionist <laughs> mm. um and the surprising thing for me was that I, I've never considered myself to be one because I always looked at my mom being a perfectionist because she was in all the small things or all the tangible things, you know, how the house looks, how the cleaning is done, how whatever, everything had to be perfect. And she was expecting it as much from herself as from the others. Um, with me, I've never had one of these things. It doesn't matter to me what my environment looks like. But when it comes to emotions um, or reactions or um, my performance generally, I can be quite a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because, again, I don't expect it from other people. Um, it's one of those cases of do what the preacher says not what he does <laughs> mm -hmm. um because I, I teach my my students the complete opposite you know allow yourself to make mistakes get used to them or so so when i um when i first kind of discovered this in therapy i was like oh my god how am i a perfectionist <laughs> it's yeah it it was it was very very interesting and shocking um as well but it was amazing because I think once you discover and you accept something, you can actually uh, make steps to change it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's if you're unaware of it, you you can't change it. You know, you you're not going to know even how to recognize it, so you can change something. Um, so I think now I've learned to at least recognize the moments when I'm going on a bit of a perfectionist. Uh, tangent um, and the second thing that um, I think was a bit shocking in terms of uh, discoveries in therapy was um, just um, understanding or accepting that it's absolutely normal for anyone including myself to make mistakes or to hurt others consciously. Because I think 
as humans, we all in theory accept that we can harm others or we can um, cause them pain unconsciously. And mm. we kind of roll with this idea because it's comfortable and it feels good to think that, well, okay, I've hurt you, but I didn't mean to, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was revolutionary for me to accept that sometimes out of, I don't think it's even selfishness. It's actually some sort of need of protecting yourself that you choose consciously to um, cause someone else uh, pain or um to hurt someone not in not necessarily in you know critical ways or bad ways but simply as a human uh like hurt someone's can feelings give, can you give an example because i'm very curious about this particular one it, it, it resonates with me uh and also i'm terrified of it so i yes. wanna <laughs> it's that that's exactly how how it kind of feels basically um i'm trying to think of an example that feels comfortable to share mm-hmm. um and um, let's say um if i give an example from from work um mm-hmm. like work related um for example i if i'm going i, I went through time of burnout um let's say and it was a time when i was feeling very down myself i was trying to find some time to recover um and at the same time i was being asked for help um from one of my uh, colleagues um and it's whenever i'm being asked for help it's usually one of the most critical times for me because again it's tapping a little bit into that people pleasing uh, do mm-hmm. i choose myself or do i choose you uh, just to make you happy um and for me consciously saying to someone no i can't help you because i know that at that moment in time if i help you i'm going to harm myself mm-hmm. um i think it's 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 one of the one of the examples um that um i can basically think about um and I'm, I know I'm a little bit vague with, uh, with the mm-hmm. answer, but that's just because the specific situation that I have in mind uh, where I've come across this, it's a little bit too personal and I'm not mm-hmm. comfortable um, sharing, sharing, sharing that. Um, but yeah, I think it's... But I think what I'm hearing you say in this is is basically consciously choosing yourself. That doesn't necessarily mean actively doing harm yeah it's the idea that sometimes by choosing yourself yeah that might leave the other person not necessarily hurt but this in discomfort yeah and I think as I'm listening to you speaking now it's also tolerating the fact that people are able to stay with that discomfort and we don't need to save them from feeling not comfortable (laughs) yes definitely and it's it's simply accepting that there are moments in life when you are going to be selfish in a way or another Mm. um and like you said it's it's consciously knowing that you're choosing yourself but at the same time, being conscious of the fact that by doing that, 
the other person might feel hurt or might get upset or might experience some sort of dis- discomfort as you're saying it mm. um and i think that's not a very easy pill to swallow mm-hmm. um because we as humans like to believe that we are good people and we don't make decisions that hurt other people or at least not consciously yeah. <laughs> but sometimes we do and i think it's okay to accept that because only by accepting that you can actually um maybe make better choices earlier on so you don't have to get to that point mm-hmm. um or at least it will help you be transparent enough about it and communicate it to other people why you're making a certain choice yeah um and choosing yourself is perfectly fine there's nothing nothing wrong with that uh, and i think that's one idea that we or some of us got wrong somewhere <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i can very much relate to that <laughs> um and then speaking about success what is then success for you today um success for me today um i think is being able to stay true to who I am at the val- and the values that I believe in um being able to like progress and grow and move further without um, depending or without um hindering anyone else's success um simply you know doing your own thing doing the best of it um without looking right and left who's doing it better or who's doing it worse um and just growing um whether that is professionally um financially personally um i think that that is success maybe understanding when um uh or how to adapt to change um and new situations um i think that's that's also part of my definition of success mm. and slightly related to that how do you see power and privilege in that context or in any context um power and privilege that's an interesting question i've never thought of it actually mm-hmm. um i mean if you haven't and you don't have a like immediate answer feel free to say pass <laughs> <laughs> um no it's it's interesting actually the question i think um privilege we all have it in a way or another or in different aspects of our life but i think the privilege only helps as a starting point mm. after that starting point the privilege i don't think it matters as much as your actual work and the consistency and the um effort that uh, you put in um and i'm thinking of that from the perspective of have i seen more other or other people that are more pl- uh, privileged uh, than me growing up yes a lot of them um i i didn't i don't or at least um 
again, because I was saying that it, it relates to different parts, um, I don't consider myself having grown up privileged, at least financially. So if I speak from that perspective, I think that only just matters in the starting point. Mm. Afterwards, it's it's your work, your effort, your beliefs that will make a difference. Mm-hmm. Again, I can very much relate to this. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm wondering, is there anything around the topic of your work that we haven't covered and you kind of want to add? Um, I think maybe just the idea of um, what are the um, or, or what is the role of emotions um, mm-hmm. or um, emotional experiences when it comes to learning yeah um and um getting over um blockages uh in a second language or in english uh in this example um because i feel like with a lot of the adults that i work um and you've probably heard it as well there is this concept or an actual phrase i can understand everything and in my head i speak perfectly fine but when I open my mouth, either the words don't come out or I don't make sense. Yeah, that's what my mom says. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of that actually has to do with um, past emotional experiences that we've had, either with um, like learning English specifically or just the idea of learning and education in general. Um and a lot a, a lot of these blockages come from our fear of um saying something wrong mm. of uh looking stupid <laughs> when uh we say something of almost losing our respect just because we're making mistakes um and again, that's, I think, something that comes a lot from um, the cultural background and the way we, we grew up. Um, and the quicker mm, students or people understand this part, the easier it is to start unlocking them slowly, slowly um, and understanding that, okay, I can say something and I can say something wrong and nothing is going to happen. Mm. Um, like 99% of the times, nothing is going to happen. And I think especially in the UK, and it is probably your uh, experience as well. It's very, very rarely that a British person will tell you, you didn't say that right. Yeah. French will. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I must say my experience with French speaking, uh, it, it is very frustrating, not with some people, but uh, sometimes it will be like, ah, ah, and then like they don't even try to understand you, but they immediately is a judgment. But yes, yes, <laughs> obviously not. It's not about generalizations. Uh, yes, there's always exceptions, you know, even yeah. in the UK. But 
in general in general uh, british people yeah. will not will not look at you like oh what did you say yeah. they might ask you and even this idea uh, or even the situation where you get asked sorry mm-hmm. or what did you say can you repeat that again most of the times it's not even because of your language it's just because i don't know maybe you said it too low maybe uh, there was a distraction somewhere but mm-hmm. automatically because we feel um underconfident about our language skills we associate the sorry and the can you repeat again mm-hmm. with oh i don't speak english well enough that's why Um, and it happened to me um, just a few weeks ago I I was on a um, call with um, the like a medical clinic and they were simply asking me my date of birth but the way that she said it I swear I didn't understand it and I think I told her about four times can you repeat that again and by the fourth time I already started to feel a little bit stupid (laughs) And I still didn't understand it. And then I was like, I'm sorry, can you say it in other words? Because I don't get it. Um, and then she said, I don't know how she said it. And I was like, oh my God, that's what it was. <laughs> but why should I take that upon myself? That it's my, you know, it's because I don't speak English well, or it's because, I don't know, my pronunciation is whatever, or I'm not understanding this accent or the other. Why should I take it on myself? Because when we speak to people in our own mother tongue it can happen (laughs) yeah why why do we take it so um, dramatically when it happens in english or in the second language Mm -hmm. and i wonder how do you um work with people when you start realizing that the block is not the language but the emotional history um so one of the things that we do is we try and remind them or make them share moments or experiences from um, their past where a similar situation has happened. And it's usually uh, school related or community society um, related. And like I said, in general with um, discoveries about yourself, the quicker you realize where it's coming from, the easier it's actually to battle it and say, well, if it's just because of that, then that means it doesn't have anything to do with right now. I can try it. Um, And then it's constantly kind of exposing them and reminding them that this is why you're having it. Let's let's try and get over that um, and let's keep practicing. It's not going to happen overnight, but every time you try it, a little bit more and a little bit more you will see the results in the end mm-hmm. so in a way the way you're working with people is a combination of teaching language and understanding and coaching and understanding their beliefs yeah. around language yes um and i think that is very very important when you work with adults um and especially if you work with adults that are trying to um, overcome the cultural barrier as well. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, for example, it might be easier or the impact might not be as much 
if I'm teaching people that are already uh, or that are still in their home country because they are still in their comfort zone they don't feel as pressurized to do something or to prove something um when they are already in the uk as immigrants there is this um need to prove yourself um and because there is that it automatically impacts on um your communication as well and you know how how you kind of feel but i always say that one one step at a time um usually helps mm-hmm. like for example um if you go to um to the gp and you're trying to have a conversation they're asking you something you don't know what to say back or you start to say a full sentence only two words come out you realize that you've pronounced something wrong and then your mind says hello don't continue because you're just going to embarrass yourself and then there's a blockage and then you lose your words the best way to deal with that is literally tell yourself or tell the other person give me a minute and then start again Mm -hmm. and even if instead of two words you can say three words the second time it's already a progress and with each of these small kind of wins you are going to get there but the more you run away from it the more is going to chase you basically yeah yeah and it's interesting as as i was just having i was having a flashback of how children learn languages and they imitate Mm-hmm. and um and it takes them two years to imitate until they actually are able to fully give like proper sentences but when you become an adult you think after three months you need to like f- be a fully fledged person that just <laughs> yes. kind of <laughs> so it's a very interesting it's it's a lot about expectations and yeah. and and how much we we put on ourselves when we grow up mm-hmm. but probably sometimes the speed of learning maybe even be quite similar <laughs> yes and uh, it's 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 a very nice example and comparison that you gave because that's exactly how i explain it sometimes to um the students as well if even even um as children some of them will learn how to say the words correctly and the r's and the s's or whatever when they're two some of them will learn it at 4 years old and that's perfectly fine. If if as children we don't learn the same, why should we do it as adults? Yeah. And like you said, if as children it takes us a few years to actually get to speak correctly, why do we expect it to happen much quicker as an adult? And the reality is it can happen much quicker because you have a lot of different associations in your mind that you can use to help you. But at the same time, you need to give yourself just a little bit of leeway to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and I also wanted to ask, because you said something around um, uh, therapy being helpful from the time where you needed to scale or to... Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if you could say more about that or what was your impediment to growing your business or making the 
the next step in your business and how did therapy support you there? Um, what I was saying <clears throat> earlier about, for example, understanding that I'm a perfectionist, even that helped a lot. Um, because, for example, um, like a, a down kind of moment, and when I realized that I'm a perfectionist, um, I had received a lot of good feedback and reviews. Um, and I think there was one student um, that wasn't quite happy with uh, the lessons, with the approach, um, whatever it was at the time. Um, and I remembered I I discussed it in the, in the therapy session because it had put me down quite a lot. Um, and I remember, um, like Yulia, my therapist at the time, um, asking me, so for example, out of 10 people, how many of them do give you like a bad review or they're not happy? And I said that maybe one, like sometimes not even one in 10. So she was like, so the nine that are happy are automatically being cancelled out by this one <laughs> that is not happy. Isn't that your perfectionism coming through? And is it realistic to expect everyone to like it and be 100% happy? Mm. Um, and it's not. <laughs> and if I, if I would have allowed myself to um, be put down by like such reviews or comments or situations it actually does stop you from progressing because you you um you spend so much time and energy in trying to fix that one person yeah that you forget how much you could do with the rest of the nine or yeah. so um so i think um that was one aspect at least where uh, therapy helped me and um Another thing that uh, helped in terms of uh, therapy as well is that uh, after I've formed uh, my team since uh, last year, basically, we started to do group therapy as well. Um, and that helped a lot in terms of uh, business and business growth. And just in group the therapy with your team. Yeah. Oh, Wow. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. That's a first. I I dream of a world where we do that, and it's it's lovely to know that that's already there. Yes, um, and it's it's honestly helped a lot because it helped us understand each other and understand each other's maybe trigger points uh, in work situations in uh, our relationship with students because we work with people. Uh, you know, when and especially when you take on this kind of coaching approach, the downside or the risk of that is um, literally um, kind of getting immersed into their own drama and life. And if you don't know how to how to get um, through that or how to set the boundaries for yourself, because, yes, we are teachers we are coaches but we are not therapists you know it's a whole different life or a whole different aspect if you go into the the independent traumas that they have and sometimes they bring them to class and you need to know how to deal with them to help both of you 
um, you as a teacher and then the other person as a student as well. Um, so again, that that I think um, helped a lot, like doing the group therapy um, sessions. Mm. So this is this is actually really lovely because I think it illustrates the commitment and the respect you have for your so for the people you're working with and also for uh, the students you're working with. And yeah. so I am I am quite curious about how did this idea come for you and what supported and, and how did you um, bring it to your team? Because it's it's a very sensitive thing to yeah. bring and to say, oh, well, we're going to do group therapy now. Um, so how 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 did you find the way as someone who is leading people to to bring this in? Um, I re I just realized that uh, I brought the idea in just before Christmas last year. So mm -hmm. it's it's about a year. And um, yes, I did have a little bit of a worry and anxiety uh, bringing it up because it's, I think, to a certain extent, it's still a little bit of a taboo kind of topic, um, therapy and especially group therapy and at work um with with your colleague and your boss essentially um but uh, i had spoken a lot about my own kind of journey and my own um like self discoveries and my team knew how much it means to me like therapy and what are the positive aspects that come from it because usually whenever i was struggling with something especially if it, if it was work related I would share it with them that look the reason I reacted last week that way is because this and this was going on um, so when I presented it to them I, I've kind of said it in a way that I think this would help us as a team be more cohesive as understand each other better and automatically feel more comfortable uh, working um, with with each other and with the students um, and I've kept it completely optional to begin with I said that it's it's there um, I'm going to I'm going to do it but don't feel forced like to attend see how you feel uh, I would be happy to obviously but it's completely up to you because it's not something that you can I think enforce on people and you shouldn't uh, enforce it on people um, they loved it <laughs> they, they still do so you are so. now doing this as part of your business yeah oh man I I must <laughs> say uh, it, it is a really a workplace I'm dreaming of <laughs> and I personally um I, I I personally feel that it is somehow um what the future of work should look like mm. um especially uh, it's it's really funny for me how you know like most of the managers are basically their major major thing is to work with people but they're still valued based on their technical expertise yes <laughs> uh and and that's fine i don't think like everyone mm -hmm. should be a therapist level uh quality to work with people but at least have the awareness that well now your responsibility shifts and therefore you need to have a different kind of awareness created. And it's, it, I think it's quite 
futuristic in a way what you have done <laughs> for your company um, or for your for your academy thank you thank you so much I think I was maybe lucky enough as well to have worked in nice places before or at least with nice leaders that I felt supported me and it was always my idea when even when the whole thing of okay making it a business like the academy um, began um, to be a leader that is actually more about the team because the team is what will actually make it work um, if if the team is not built and is not happy working there and they're not happy with each other they're not going to be able to pass that on to the students um, and that automatically impacts on everything else that is business um, related so uh, it's I think it comes with its challenges as well because I feel like sometimes it is a little bit difficult to separate my personal self from uh, the team or from the business and usually if there are instances where I have to make decisions that are more manager-like I actually start the email or the meeting with I have my manager hat on <laughs> you know mm -hmm. I, I have to have this conversation with you guys because this and this is going on this doesn't change who I am as a person and who I am as a leader to you but unfortunately there's no one else to do it in my place mm. so I, I have to have that as well um, but I think the the benefits that come out of it are way more than these small moments when there's a bit of a conflict of emotions um, mm. involved Well, that's a, that's actually a very interesting one that you're bringing up because I was on a on a leadership course and one of the one of the one of the exercises was to identify what are the hats we are wearing within that role mm. because often. Uh, some people have a fixed idea of which hat they need to wear. Some people have no idea what other hats they need to wear. Some people have no idea what preferences they have for which <laughs> for which hats they they want and which hats they might not want to wear. And none of this is like uh, is a is, there is like a wrong or a, or a right thing yeah. to do, but it's more like without awareness, uh, we are operating in a way that there is no communication. And, you know, if someone doesn't want to wear, a, I don't, I don't want to wear a trainer hat, but then that means that I need to have a person that's, that's going it. to have that hat. If they, if there isn't that person in the team, then the team is suffering. Uh -huh. So in a way I'm, I'm really very pleasantly, unfortunately surprised <laughs> That that is um that is because that probably more reflects my working places than <laughs> uh, than anything else. But I'm really I'm really happy to hear the way you're organizing, and it sounds it sounds quite heartwarming. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank because you. Because it it's also work is uh, not work is work can be something that we can to some extent enjoy and find meaning and and value in. I, I, I feel so as well. I think that we spend way too much time in a life at work for us to not feel good there. Yeah. 
it's it's not going to be all the time that's unrealistic but even in our personal life it's not like we are happy all the time with what we do or what we have um but as long as we can counterbalance it with a good amount of um of healthy kind of working environment um i think it's it's our responsibility to do it mm-hmm. yeah and i i really like that you bring up the word responsibility because there is a lot of how responsible we are for the choices we make when it comes both to work and partners and everything else um and speaking about um uh partners the the question i also have is around gender and how do you experience your own gender and what does that mean to you um and how you grow up within that context because you are an entrepreneur you're a mm-hmm. businesswoman um which i imagine was not that uh, modeled in romania um it's interesting because i in my family at least i've always felt that my mom is the head or the leader um and maybe because of that i never quite thought that i would have any disadvantages as a woman mm-hmm. um and i haven't felt it after coming to the uk either um i feel like and at the same time it ties in with my own kind of personal um values and choices as well because i i definitely think that um women should have the same uh, level of uh, opportunities um as men do but at the same time i feel like we should also be free enough to choose for example to be housewives or mothers if we want to in an environment or culture that really promotes being a career woman <laughs> mm, yeah um and i think that's something that i was struggling with a little bit after graduating um uh, at in the uk uh, and after getting married as well because i've and i'm expecting now so i'm going to be a mother mm. in january um and i always knew that it's important for me to give that part of my life priority but at the same time feel like i am free enough or independent enough to make choices for my career as well like to not depend fully on my husband or at least if i want to i can tell him that i want to work or i want to earn or i want to do this or whatever um without being stopped from it and i feel like that's mm, that's not very popular opinion i'd say nowadays <laughs> or at least not with the women that i have around me um i think there was a little there, there was some time when i was feeling a little bit judged for it um that i am choosing to mm-hmm. be a housewife or to not have a career that is you know or not have a life that is fully focused um on a career um and maybe again that's another aspect where therapy has helped me understand that i i can be me i don't have to fit in any of the stereotypes i i can be both um, at different moments in life and that's perfectly fine yeah. yeah 
yeah it's it's really beautiful what you're saying um and i can very much relate to um i mean i i don't have a partner um and i don't have kids but if i do and if and when i do i do want to spend the motherhood with the kids and like focused on that mm-hmm. and not building my career in that time mm. um because to me that's a it's a it's it's a life experience um that i just don't want to miss yeah. <laughs> and i think that's that's what i feel like is the most important just to be allowed to have your own choices, choices yeah. and beliefs without feeling judged for it just because the trend is you have to prove that you're a career woman and we have equal rights yes mm-hmm. we do but part of that equal rights means I can choose if yes. I think that's something for me or not <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and um, if I may ask what was your experience of pregnancy um, it was as so far generally it was good um i had an easy uh, an easy pregnancy and hopefully the end will be the same um but i did go through a little bit of a conflict when it comes to priorities with work because like i was saying in my mind i always thought that if i have a child i do want to focus um on the baby more um even like throughout the pregnancy uh, although I've had it easy, there was a, there were a lot of moments of fatigue, for example. And because I've cut down for, on caffeine, I feel like that automatically dropped my energy levels to half mm-hmm. of what I was doing before. And I was doing probably more than 100% before. Um, and it took some time and a few therapy sessions to understand that um, it's okay for my focus to shift. It's okay to not have the same exponential growth that I've had like within the academy for some time because I am focusing on something else and I kind of have to divide my attention between the two babies almost mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, yeah it's 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 been interesting I'm still waiting and looking forward to see how sorry how it's going to change after um the baby's here uh in terms of um the academy and the balance that i have um and something that came up uh very recently in the last therapy session that i had was um that maybe i am a little bit scared that is going to change my idea of work ethic mm. um and how much attention I can actually give um, to work and that it wouldn't necessarily be fair to, you know, try to um, maybe multitask (laughs) or Mm. have a meeting whilst I am also caring for the baby or things like that, Um, which is not usually my idea of professionalism and how you uh, treat work um so it's at the moment it's an adapting phase yeah it's a it's a it's a transition and even when it's not um a human baby but another project baby 
yeah. those transitions are it can be quite challenging mm-hmm. yeah and there are always places which open up the history and our relations to our history and yeah. oh yes definitely <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah yes um i feel like we have kind of rounded up this conversation but i'm wondering if there is anything i haven't asked um and you feel like it's really important to add or we have missed something um nothing honestly that i can think of um i feel like we've gone through a lot of um things but somehow still related <laughs> mm-hmm. um on the theme so yeah i'm i'm generally happy and i feel like i've spoken a lot <laughs> so well uh to to end i just want to ask you the rapid fire ones which is uh what kind of compliments do you do you want do you like to receive um I think one of them that I like to receive is that um, I help people in either becoming more confident in themselves or um, just allowing themselves to feel uh, vulnerable. Um, it's it's usually the messages that I get after I've shared something vulnerable about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are the compliments that I am happy to receive and I don't feel awkward about that. And what might be one absurd thing about you that not many people know about? Uh, One absurd thing about me. Um, On a plate of food, I always leave the best thing on the plate for the last I I I don't know why I do. I it, admire that strength. But, <laughs> but the, the the basically the last bite has to be of that thing on the plate that I like the most. Wow. <laughs> I do exactly the opposite, <laughs> and I admire people who have the patience to wait for it. Yeah, no, I I will eat the good thing, but I have to leave a last bite. It it's almost like finishing with that thing on my taste buds I don't know yeah (laughs) and I didn't ask you do you have some hobbies or anything that you like to do that supports you in your journeys um I don't think I have a lot of practicing hobbies now um but um I do love coffee in general Mm -hmm. so I right now I'm having decaf Uh, I got used to it but yeah that's a good break for me Um, and uh, I love singing but now I only do it when I'm driving (laughs) (laughs) Um, and um, And do you sing something uh, uh, Romanian or something more uh... uh, either Uh, Romanian English um like Bollywood as well okay uh, because my husband is of Pakistani origin so I adopted a bit of that as well <laughs> okay wow wow mm-hmm. and uh, what kind of gifts do you like to give to people um I like to give gifts that 
will become a nice memory someday. Mm. So either it can be photos, for example. Um, it can be some sort of a message that is personal and related to a specific time in their life. Um, recently, there is a book, actually, that I like to give people, especially women. Um, and it's a book by um, Anna Mather. Okay. She's a um, psychotherapist. Um, and it's called um, the something with self-worth. I can't remember it now. It's slipping off my mind. We can, yeah, we can part of it the... is self worth. Yeah, <laughs> we can put it in the show notes. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to search it <laughs> because now it's uh, bugging me. Uh, Anna Mather. Um, self. Oh, know your worth. Okay know your worth yeah okay okay that's the one and lastly is there anything you want to ask me before we end um what i want to ask you actually is um what does um therapy and your training as a therapist actually mean to you and why have you decided to do it Mm, thank you for this question. I like it a lot. Um, therapy, my therapy, um, has really been something that has profoundly um, changed me. Mm. Uh, and when I say my therapy, I, I mean specifically um, the therapy I had the last in the last three or four years. Um, where I feel I've gotten to know myself in very deep ways. Mm -hmm. And also I've allowed myself to feel my own pain and to think that it's, um, to think that it is, uh, valuable, that it's not, uh, something that I should neglect because mm -hmm. other people have it worse. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. so that's, that's a really big, important thing. And, and it also helped me to discover, uh, that I'm bigger than I think I am. <laughs> um, and that I have a voice and a place in this world. And sometimes, sometimes I, I kind of forget that. Um, mm. but often, often I get reminded back, um, and the reason I've started training was um, I always was interested in in therapy. Uh, so I I was I actually uh, when I was in Serbia and I was going to a science school I also went to a psychology um, class. Mm -hmm. um, but at that time I didn't know you can actually study two universities because. It didn't feel like a physically possible thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just left it. But then when I had a, my personal therapy and when I could see how much it offered me, it felt like I cannot continue living life 
without offering the same back to someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it felt like I was so excited about the potential of it, about what it can do because of what it has done for me, mm-hmm. that I realized I cannot, I cannot sit still in this. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, yeah. it felt really, and especially because my therapy was going all the way back to some very um, um, old baby wounds, if you want. And and working with those and reaching those is, is actually quite um, hard um, yeah. as therapeutic work. Mm-hmm. But when you do reach them, and when you do work with them and acknowledge them and eventually somehow transmute them inside of of you then it, it's it's a really wonderful thing um mm-hmm. and and life is fuller yeah because it's almost like we live from i live from a different place now if it makes sense i don't know yeah no it's 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 totally relatable um and um I yeah I can completely I can completely understand um because I've had my own childhood journey and traumas and things that I always kind of knew that maybe they have yeah, an impact on me yes yeah but I never understood how yeah. until I started therapy um mm-hmm. so yeah that's I I love generally what what you're saying because I feel like maybe that's what I'm trying to do a little bit with the coaching that I do in English just to give a little bit back from that perspective <laughs> yeah I mean I see it a little bit like a river of life and what a therapist has given me is almost like a river that has floated in me and then that can now float through me somewhere else mm-hmm um so for me it's it's basically passing on that torch of life um somewhere else yeah yeah it's it's nice it's nice to be able to um share and at the same time discover yourself (laughs) yeah everything exactly exactly Um, so just uh, before we end where can people find you Um, so I am generally on all the social media platforms Um, you're going to find me by my name um, Amalia Bali either on Facebook Instagram um, TikTok uh, LinkedIn yeah everywhere basically Yeah, and I just need to say before we end uh, for uh, my own stuff that it would be really nice for people who are listening and if they like what they've heard to support the podcast. So there is a GoFundMe link that will be in the description uh, and it's just a one-time donation and you're not um, uh, obliged to do anything more. So that would be really helpful. And also, even if you can't, uh, if you just share the link, that would be really meaningful. Uh, and I just want to thank you really a lot for uh, for just being you and and allowing yourself your authenticity that then can guide others that's it was just lovely to experience you (laughs) thank you so much and yes it was it was a 
I think a full kind of conversation um, and I loved it so thank you very much for guiding that. You have just heard the story of Amalia Bali, the founder and CEO and a psycholinguist specialist who has created the Amalia Bali Academy that delivers specialist English courses for adults. What really sets her apart is her belief in the power of dreams. She is a firm believer that if you have the courage to pursue your passions and do what you love, you can make a real difference in the world. She understands that language learning can be a daunting task and that's why she created a warm and welcoming environment that encourages the students to feel comfortable and confident as they progress. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe so that these stories can reach more people.